Hi, my name is Andrea Jansen, and I am on a mission to help people be ambitious at work every single day. That means you're fulfilled, you're productive, and you're contributing to your company. I'm a certified executive coach that has an MBA, a diversity consultant, a Forbes contributor, a business leader, a wife, and a mother of three. This podcast is about tackling hard topics like the gender gap in the workplace. It's about asking the questions that everybody's thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. Each episode is like the sweet spot between motivation and tactical strategies to get you ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. This is where we learn, grow, and create opportunities. Welcome to the Ambition Theory Podcast. You've probably heard a lot about diversity and inclusion these days. It seems like every company and brand is doing something for International Women's Day, Black History Month, talking about having an inclusive culture and being a place where everyone is welcome. My business partner, Jody Millen, always asks me, why are these companies doing this? What's the business case? Because here's the truth. Diversity and inclusion initiatives that are motivated because it's the right thing to do isn't a strong enough motivation. There needs to be more. It needs to drive revenue or profit, or it's not going to be worth the effort. In today's episode, I interviewed Aoife Lyons and Maritza Nariga from the Glenlivet. They are sharing the business case and the reasons why they took this global single malt scotch brand and are making it more inclusive so that everyone can enjoy it. The best part about this story is that it's driving revenue growth for the brand and helping them to stand out from their competition. This episode was recorded live as part of our International Women's Day series called Rising to the Challenge, taking on the social norms and stereotypes that impede careers and business. After listening to this conversation, you will feel challenged to look for opportunities where inclusion can lead to business growth and profit. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Before we dive into the episode, I want to tell you about the Ambition Theory community, which is our brand new monthly membership program that supports leaders all over the world to advance their leadership capacity. It includes professional coaching and access to thought leaders like Aoife and Maritza, who you're going to hear from in this episode. The best part is that you'll be surrounded by people who are trying to achieve the same level of success that you are because you can't solve your company's toughest problems on your own. To join the community, go to ambitiontheory.ca. So now I want to invite Aoife Lyons, um, who's the assistant brand manager of the Glenlivet, and Maritza Nariga, who is the senior brand manager of the Glenlivet, to come on for the formal portion of this talk, which is the interview that we're going to talk about how you are challenging the stereotypes of the of the old boys club and who drinks scotch. So Aoife and and Marisa, I'm so honored that you're here. Um, Aoife, can you take a minute to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Hi, everyone. Nice to meet you. My name's Aoife Lyons. If you're seeing the spelling, totally disregard how it is. It's an Irish name, so kind of like Eva, but with an F. Um, as you can tell from the accent and from the name, I'm not from Canada. I moved to Canada probably just over three years ago now. I've been working in the alcohol and spirits industry for about a year and a half, had the pleasure of working on the Glenlivet Scotch brand. And recently we started working on some other prestige brands as well. So including champagnes and cognac and very excited to be on this brand and to get the opportunity alongside Maritza to challenge what consumers believe the Scotch industry is, how you can consume it, what it looks like, where you're able to enjoy it. So Together, Maritza and I are the challengers within that space, and we're really excited to chat to you today a little bit more about it. 
Oh, Aoife, it sounds like you have the coolest job ever. You get to challenge all these things. You get to work on a really cool spirit, spirits brand. It's just, I'm just so grateful that you're here. Maritza, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Oh, of course. Thank you so much for Sandra. We're really excited to be here. Um, I'm Maritza Noriega. I, as you know, for the accent, I'm not from Canada either. I'm from Venezuela. I've been working in the alcohol industry for more than eight years now. Uh, I've worked in Venezuela. I've worked in Colombia. Whiskey has been always in my core. I worked for Shivas. I worked for Jameson. But now, since a year and a half ago, I have the opportunity to like work with the Glenlivet, Shivas, and now, as Aoife mentioned, um, with other brands and MPJ brands like Champagne, which is amazing. So we get like a breath of every kind of like spirits in the portfolio. And as Aoife mentioned, it's like such an exciting role uh, where we get to challenge like the stereotypes of what the category is, the industry is, and like what we're actually doing is recruit new consumers into the category. So we're not only seeing whiskey consumers like it's how we behave more as a spirit brand and like recruit people from like um, vodka, uh, bourbon, uh, rum, because at the end of the day, uh, consumers just don't drink one spirit. They drink a portfolio of them. Um, so the opportunity is actually endless list. So we're really excited. And as you mentioned, Andrea, you get way farther if you work with other people. Aoife and I have been like a strong team. Um, we wouldn't be able to take the brand where it is right now if we weren't working together. So I'm really excited to share what our learning has been this year and any questions that you may have. Amazing. So actually, I want to just touch on that, this idea of going further together, because I'm really excited to partner with you because our company, we love challenging stereotypes. That's the theme of our series this week. And it's so great to partner with a company, with a pretty big company that is also challenging these stereotypes. And here's the thing, when you're challenging them, when we're challenging them kind of on islands by yourself, but when we come together and we work together and we're like, you know, we're, we're talking about the same thing. You're talking about it in the spirits category. We're talking it, about it more in a workplace kind of human behavior and culture perspective but really we're all on the same page we're really trying to achieve the same thing so I'm really excited to partner to partner with you guys with ambition theory to kind of move forward in the same direction together so I'm excited I know I've said I'm excited a lot because I am really excited but I want to actually take a step back and I'm wondering if you can share a brief history of the Glenlivet because I don't know if everybody is familiar with the brand of course. Um, so Glenlivet is like one of the first single mall that ever existed from 1824. It was created by George Smith. Um, and it was first created in provision. And it was one of the first single malls that got the uh, permission to be sold because it was such a great product. It was like a best kept secret that everyone was talking about that that's how the, the Glenlivet 12 year old started. Um, and to be honest, it, it's been a brand since like the beginning that it's always been known for just breaking, uh, being original by tradition because we do respect how the process is made on single malt and like uh, we respect the quality of our product because we like the quality of our product is well known because we have the best malts, we have the best water. It is made on, it's called the Glenlivet for, for a cost. Um, however, we are not afraid of like spice it up and do new things like in a category where like age statement is so important where like brands all were like 12 14 15 21 years old we were one of the first ones that actually created a non-age statement on whiskey for those who don't know it's like when you don't like state the age of the product because many people don't know this but like when you see a 12 year old bottle you're guessing like oh that's that bottle has like 12 year olds, but no, that's like the minimum whiskey they use is 12 year olds because the moment 
you put a drop of something of an you have to state like what the age statement is. So if I put a drop of 15, um, then I have to say 15, but that product could have 15 year old uh, whiskey, 20, 50 year old. So when you say non, uh, you don't you don't state the age basically because you're like focusing more on the flavor as opposed to the age of the product. So we were one of the first ones to do that with Founders Reserve and it became a success globally. Um, and that's why we started like creating new products like Captain's Reserve. And now we're gonna like soon gonna be launching something exciting. So it's been a brand that's like very well um, based in tradition, but always trying to do something different. And it's been successful because like one we're basically co-lead in the category. Okay, so I'm actually curious about this number because it sounds like it's very kind of, this is the way it's always been done. We always have the number, here's the rules because it's very like single malt scotch is very regulated because right, you wanna put the name on it. But what was the reason for taking out that age statement? Was it be to make it less confusing? Tell me about that. No, at the end of the day, it's more about like when the master blender is creating the product, you can focus more on like, I wanna just use the specific barrels that have been aged for a specific time, or I just wanna like focus on a flavor of a product. Like, um, because for a whiskey to be called whiskey it needs to be aged in minimum three years, right? But then a whiskey is a mix of like different barrels. You can mix a three-year-old, five-year-old, 15-year-old, 15, year old, 15 uh, whatever. However, when you do an age statement, what you're saying is like, okay, I'm, the minimum barrel I'm gonna use is gonna be aged eight, 12 year old, right? Whereas like when you do non-age statement, what we were trying to do is like, let's do something different. Like just let's focus on the, on the flavor. Do we want something that's more tropical, more fruity? Um, and that way we might need to like mix whiskeys that are like younger, but that doesn't mean it doesn't affect the quality. It's just more about like, try to do something different in the category as opposed to just focus on, on the age statement of the barrel, if it makes sense. Got it. So just kind of that originality, like reinforcing that originality and just like, holding that tradition but staying to that originality of the brand okay exactly amazing thank you so if i have a question for you i know a couple of years ago there was a decision that the brand needed to be repositioned in a big way so it's always been original but tell me about that and and what was going on so essentially if you were looking at the whiskey category any spirits category but especially within single malts the consumption base was typically the older um, demographic and as that happens that's an aging um, or an aging um, consumption pool so the idea was to open up the opportunity for us to recruit the next generation of whiskey drinkers while also you know keeping the the consumers that we have to hand but to do that we needed to shift our thinking and shift the way that we speak to those consumers so if we're speaking to someone who's 50 year old versus someone who's 27 year old you're not going to be saying the same thing we had to make sure that what we were doing was relevant to those younger consumers so part of that would be that we needed to challenge some of the the perceptions that were there around single mode so if we were trying to get you into the category and you knew nothing about it there could be some um, roadblocks there. So one of those could be that you believe it's out of your price point or you believe that it's not something you would consume based on how you've seen it consumed in the past so that you know perhaps uh, your palate couldn't handle drinking it straight or um, that it was just a little bit too stuffy for you. You just didn't associate it with um, your own lifestyle. So as a brand, we decided that it was important to open up that world. And again, laddering back to what Marissa had said about we're constantly trying to push things forward and pave new grounds within this space. So 
the idea was less about um, just trying to capitalize on new consumers and more so about opening up that world to those who are interested and curious and ambitious and willing to try new things. So by doing that, we had we increased our propositions with um, products like Founders Reserve, which were a little bit more accessible, easier on the palate, a little bit sweeter to consume. As we chatted about earlier with Annette, she mentioned that, you know, she wasn't exactly sure what she liked drinking in single malt, but she knew that she didn't want necessarily something that was too peaty. So with products like Founders Reserve, they're just a little bit easier on the palate so that you can kind of dip your toe in first and then explore and Ideally, the view is to bring people into our brand so that they can fall in love with it and give them the opportunity to explore and trade up. So depending on the occasion or depending on the mood, you could have it in a cocktail or you could decide to sip an age statement neat by yourself or, you know, with a partner, however you want. The The ultimate baseline for us was just that the choice is yours and that we're not closing off our, our product or our brand to any one person. Okay. And tell me what was going on from a business perspective, because I know the brand was repositioned on a global level. So what was happening from from that perspective for for the Glenlivet? Yeah, so the Glenlivet, we've been doing great um, to give everybody some context here, if you're not familiar with the category within single malts. Um, here especially in Canada actually Aoife can you back up a little bit and just explain the difference between single malt and and non-single malt scotch and blend scotch and whiskey and bourbon just because I think I want to make sure everybody understands the difference and I don't think we really actually are in a place where we're comfortable asking those questions because I think it's like oh you should know that right it shouldn't we like I think there's this assumption that we should know that so can you actually back it up and just explain the difference of like what the whiskey category is and the difference of the different types yeah, sure, of course. And um, to to add to this, I would suggest if anyone is able to join in tomorrow, where I believe, or is it this evening, that Claire, or portfolio consultant, she is the whiskey expert, the whiskey nerd. So she she'll be able to answer these even better than I could. But I would definitely suggest tuning into that to get a, a deep drill down into what it means. But really high level, if you don't know anything um, about whiskey, um, there's different types of whiskey. You've probably heard about single malts, blended scotch. Irish um, and and you know what that really means is just that so for Scotch it's made in Scotland so the Glenlivet is an area in Scotland a single malt means it's made with a single barrel and uh, a blended Scotch it means it's a blend of two so really you have to it's kind of the same if people here are a little bit more familiar with champagne that's a region in France you can only claim to be a champagne if you're from that region you can only claim to be a scotch if you're from Scotland um so the Glenlivet for us as a brand is as Marissa mentioned the one that started it off so we were the very first single malt scotch within that region and kind of backing up a little bit further on from a historical point of view is that the other single malt scotches that would have followed us at the time, way back in the 1800s, tried to use the, the Glenlivet name because um, the Glenlivet area, which is an area in Scotland, was synonymous with really famous single malts. So we actually won that legal battle way back to, to take the name of it. And that's why we have such a strong reputation as a, um, as a well-loved and well-recognized single malt. Okay, awesome. Thank you for that explanation. So now tell me what was going on in the from a business perspective a couple years ago when this decision was made to shake things up a little bit. 
Yeah, of course. Well, to give you a little bit more context, um, I'll speak uh, firstly to from a global point of view. It kind of comes back to where we had already mentioned about the fact that if we only focused on the older consumers, we were soon going to run out of opportunities um, from a business point of view. So we needed to widen that pool, looking at younger demographic, looking at new occasions and opportunities as well. Speaking more specifically to us here in Canada, as I mentioned, if you talk about single malt, you will be talking about two big players, which are us, the Glenlivet, and also Glenfiddich. Um, in the category here, we're quite neck and neck. Um, it has been like that for a while. For the past few years, um, Glenfiddich, or competitor, has held that number one position with regards to value. But we have beaten them the last few years when it comes to volume. So what that means is that we came in with these new propositions like Founders Reserve. We were selling a lot of them, but they are not as high priced as perhaps some of the other products that we have in our family. So what we're always trying to do is to drive that value ahead of volume. So we're trying to make sure that, yes, we're recruiting with our um, or our younger age statements, but also getting people to stay and to keep them within our brand family. So the opportunity for us there is to always try and drive value and volume ahead. So for the first time um, in, I believe, many years um, over the past six month period, the Glenlivet has just um, beaten Glenfiddich with regards to value and volume in the category. So that's a big win for us, which goes to show that the efforts Maritza and I and the full team have been putting in have been working. So that spans out across media, what we're doing with commercial uh, support and, and all the efforts essentially to put the Glenlivet first of mind, because really the biggest challenge we've been seeing is that if someone's going in store and looking on that scotch shelf, they're getting lost in a sea of glens. And that's that's the big, the running joke that everyone will talk about. It's just like glen something, glen this. It's all of the scotches are glen something. So how do we make ourselves stand out? And, and that brought us um, nicely up to where we landed last year with challenging that with our breaking stereotypes video and our breaking stereotypes content theme that we carried through everything that we were doing from a marketing point of view. Okay, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Aoife. Maritza, I'm so curious on this campaign. Like, how did it unroll? How did how did you kind of get on board and how did you roll this out um, in Canada? Yeah, so basically, um, it comes from like what Aoife was kind of mentioning. Like, our biggest focus was how to recruit new consumers to the category. And one of the things that we know is that single mall has like perception of being maybe too hard to drink or too stuffy or just for men. So one of the things that we were seeing is like, how would we break with just like all these like barriers of entry of the category? Because in all honesty, like whiskey, like with many of the best things in life is an acquired taste, but you need to start somewhere. And it can be a little bit, not a, like single malt's very unwelcoming at the end. Like it's very stuffy, like so many brands. It's a sea of Glen, Glen Fede, Glen Morangie. Like how we stand out and make sure that we just welcome people and make single malt more approachable. So first we did is like understand what were those barriers for consumers to um, try single malt. And we figured out that it's just for men. So women were into whiskey now, but not into single malt, single malt because it was a little bit more um, perceived as the all men's club. It's too um, taste profile. It's too hard, too smoky, like to what, um, and it was mentioning like, it's, the, it's just hard to taste. Well, not everyone. Cause like, as I was mentioning before, um, the Glenlivet has like a breadth of portfolio that can go from spicy, fruity, 
uh, tropical. So at the end of the day, it's like trying the one that like best adjusts to your taste. And like, and one of the things like people think it's just best served when meat. It's not like that. At the end, when you have such a great quality whiskey, it is perfectly served in any kind of form. It's in a cocktail with water, with some ice. Um, even like you can mix it with champagne. So at the end of the day, we just capture which were those like barriers. And like what we want to do is like address the big elephant in the, in the room and debunk all these stereotypes and say like, no, this is a new, like we need to change all this perception that single malt is something that is unwelcoming and not approachable and just like try it. And like every kind of like um, stereotypes or challenge or barrier that we saw, there was always for us, it's like how we were debunking the stereotypes as well, right? So that's how it came. It came from actual consumers. We actually asked consumers, what were those barriers of entry? And then it was our response of like, how those are outdated perceptions and how the Glenlivet's like caving like, or creating a path of a more welcoming, inclusive and approachable category as a whole. And that's how we're standing out from our competitive set. When they all, all have stayed in the more traditional view, age statement, very ultra premium, only drink it need if you drink it on a cocktail or with a water you're just basically ruining the, the drink we don't believe that because at the end of the day it's it's how you like it it's how you enjoy it and that's what you want what we want for you to just enjoy the product the best way which is your way i'm and curious adds, though oh go ahead Ifa. i was just going to add to maritza's point from a brand point of view with everything that she said is it's obvious all brands would like to expand that drinking occasion and recruit new consumers. That's not new news. But what we felt was really important was to have any leg to stand on was we wanted to walk the walk versus talk the talk. So all of these brands can come out and say like, yes, we're going to be more appealing to the female consumer. You can drink it however you want. We'll show you a nice pretty picture. But Maritz and I felt for this to be authentic and to ladder back to the essence of the brand, which is staying original and being true to yourself and not being afraid to break new grounds is that we had to show it in a way that was relatable. So the creative concept was so organic that it, it really just fell out of natural people giving feedback to one of our agencies on like some of the reasons why like god i wouldn't go there and and it just felt like a natural fit and it really it was a true sentiment of what we wanted to do and what we wanted to convey and and i think that's why humor if you haven't seen the video i'd suggest you watch it but the humor in it was used in a way which allowed us to poke fun at it and and call out like marissa mentioned that elephant in the room because if we wanted to say these things without using the humor and kind of mocking ourselves in a way or playing having fun it, it could have just fallen flat and it could have been like oh come on try hard um, as people working in marketing or in any whatever way your business does, like we've become a little bit numb to a lot of the marketing that's out there. So it's really about finding that brand truth and connecting it with um, the issue that's there. So the issues that we found were those those barriers to to entry. And and the truth for us was just that, like, come on, let's call it that elephant in the room that, you know, it's funny. Let's Let's have some fun with it. I love that you brought that up, this calling it the elephant concept. And that, so I love the elephant concept that you just, you have to address it, right? Before you can overcome it and say like, oh, put a sign up. Oh, scotch is for women. The Glenlivet is inclusive. Before you put up that sign, you actually have to address that elephant and all those stereotypes up front. Was there any backlash when you did this? I'm really curious. 
And honestly, like we just received so many great responses. Like a lot of like media has like reached out to us and say like we're so impressed of like uh, this campaign because at the end of the day, to Eva's point, yeah, a lot of like brands are trying to recruit and like be more inclusive, but it's more like it's not about just putting a girl in an ad and that's it, or someone a person of color and then you're inclusive. No, it's like how you're actually uh, behaving and showing that you are uh, walking the walk instead of like just talk the talk. Um, so we had a great, great response, no backlash. Um, it was, if you see, and in honesty, it's a very inclusive campaign. It includes almost every person, like women, um, person of colors, like immigration, like every, like everything, because at the end of the day, it's what represents what the Canadian consumers are. Um, so it was very well received and we're really happy. So, yeah. Okay, I'm really curious about kind of the traditional users. So, have you gotten any feedback from them? From the traditional, the traditional, like the older male type of the 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 people that embody the stereotypes of what the Glenlivet was for before. Because I'm sure those are still your consumers, and they're still buying the product. Did you get any feedback from them? We actually saw a comment. I think it was in your on Efa's LinkedIn profile. It was someone that was a traditionalist saying, like, in all honesty, the way I drink whiskey will always be neat. But like in this campaign, actually made me curious to try something new, because the the thing is, like, when you have such a great product, you know that quality will stand in any kind of way. Like, is it in a cocktail or neat or like just like a little bit with a little bit of water? So uh, that's like one of the comments that we were more like. Uh, proud of because it just sparked curiosity we're not saying that you should drink it with a cocktail or you should drink it neat it's just like do whatever you want so it wasn't like in, in I feel like traditional like people that were very traditional in terms of like single malt never felt that it was discriminating because what we were pushing there is just like we're just challenging the way you think of single malt we're not saying the way you're doing is wrong we're just open up a new world for you I love that. So it's making it better for everyone, right? So it's like you're actually pushing the the traditional people out of their comfort zone. If they want, they could try it a new way. And it sounds like this person that's commenting is like, thank you. Thank you. for Like, like, this is still my favorite way, but you've opened my mind to a new opportunity. And they're actually kind of welcoming and opening that door to more people because they're like fans of the brand and now they can actually share the brand with people and you're giving them the tools to do that. So I think that is so cool that, yeah, I just think it's amazing that you, that you didn't get any negative backlash. That is really, really awesome. And it just shows, I think the work that you did, how you talked about kind of reaching out to real people, getting that feedback. How did that go? Did you follow like proper, like analytics or was it more based on qualitative kind of gut feel? Tell me about that process of creating the campaign. If, if I can say one thing, Andrea. Um, yeah. And and Aoife and Maritza, hi. Hey. <laughs> um, I'm from Corby as well, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and uh, the one thing that I want to uh, also call on, and, and Maritza and, and, and Aoife have, have really articulated this really well. The, the thing that blew me away with this campaign is um, the, also the response from the LGBTQ community. Um, and and because typically what you hear from that community, not all the time, and, and I'm, I am throwing some bias in here, is it's all about bugga, 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 right? And, and the thing that I loved about and still love about this campaign is how we were able to break through some of those stereotypes because there is there is a stereotype around that community as well with respect to what they drink or what they don't drink. And this nailed it. 
And, and the response that I've had from, from folks within the community has been so positive as well. Um, so I think it just speaks again volumes to how they tapped into all sorts of, of, of different um, tracks of life and, and spoke to so many different people. So I just wanted to add that because um, it, it was it's it's one of those ones over my the course of my my career at Corby that we haven't we we've always had some great campaigns but this one was so unique and different um, and and really tapped into into so many different um, venues and channels. Thanks. Amanda. Awesome. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Andrea. Actually, to add on to Amanda's point, and it comes back to what you'd mentioned earlier about. Um, working as teams or strength and partnering up is that's something that was very important to us as we built this campaign and as we developed out the the creative concept or the idea behind it is we sense checked everything from you know who we were casting to the um approach to delivering the lines to um to what uh, challenges that we were addressing and the topics that we were touching on we, we sense checked everything with people within Corby, with our own friends um, outside of the industry, friends within the industry, partners, friends of friends. We, we wanted to make sure that we captured, like, really, how does that make you feel? What do you think about it? Tell me exactly like it is, because I, we didn't want this to just be a brand self-serving exercise. This really was... Um, an exercise for us to try and help people see everything that we're trying to do with the brand, which is giving people the choice to 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 live and to do and to consume how they feel, be it drinking it neat by yourself, drinking it with friends, not drinking it at all, admitting that I've never really like really been interested in trying it, but just sparking that interest. And that was something it was so, so authentic um, for us. And it was important that the the creative process was as authentic as that too. So thank you for that. I'm getting goosebumps as you're saying this, Aoife, um, because I'm just seeing this brand being so vulnerable and you and Maritza taking that leadership position and really putting it out there and being opening it up and saying, what do you think? Tell me your honest opinion. Tell me about what that was like, like from your perspective, from being in charge of this campaign and being the one opening up the brand and asking for that authentic feedback uh, what was it like for you? And then I want to hear from Maritza as well. Honestly, it, it was exciting when you were really passionate about something. And this was something that we were both really passionate about. It felt like a baby that we had made together. And it kind of comes back to Maritza and I are such a good uh, tag team. Uh, I really don't think we could have done this without each other because we were there late night weekends, evenings being like, is this the right thing? What will people think? And, and we, I feel like we checked ourselves a couple of times to be like, we're not doing this for praise. We're doing this because it's something we believe in. So I don't mind if we got uh, some backlash because I do stand with what we were trying to say and do in it. And, and we did make sure that we were doing our due diligence to be as respectful as possible and to, to be as mindful to everything without um, overthinking or overcomplicating. We really just did believe what we were doing. So, so it was exciting. Yes, you're also going to be a little bit on edge to be like, do people love it? But at the end of the day, as I mentioned, it wasn't self-serving. It was to, to relay something that we felt honestly um, truly passionate about. Yeah. Okay. I love that answer. Marissa, is there anything? And honestly, yeah, I, she could have said it better. And in all honesty, when you build like passion brands and love brands, you have lovers and haters. 
Like if you truly want to create a love brand, you have to be okay with having to hate. Um, so it was a very vulnerable moment to your point on how we created and like got these insights. We went to everyone and we're like, please be honest, friends. We sent emails on like, uh, in, like emails. Uh, online, we were asking like, what do you think of the Glenlivet? What do you think of single malts? And what do you think of scotch? And this is all the information that we gathered because we wanted to get it like authentic responses. And most of them were actually like, when we asked actual drinkers of single malt to reply or to like react to those comments, most of those reactions that you see on video, they're actually genuine. Like that's what they reacted to. That's like, so to Eva's point, Yes, it, it's very nerve-wracking and, and, and you obviously want to like please and make sure that people like it. But when you put a position, you take a stand that you want to open up the category to be more inclusive, welcoming, you just need to like be brave and be like, okay, there's going to be like backlash and people who do not agree with it, but this is what I stand for. And this is my manifesto is like, here's where I stand. And if you're true to yourself, then you will not please people. You will just like make sure you just create the path that you want to go on. Okay, what an amazing company to work for. <laughs> Just so yeah. acknowledge that, like literally that you are able to be in this position to actually make the brand vulnerable and have the backing of your company. I just want to acknowledge how awesome that must feel to, to work at Corby. And I have one last question. And in our community, we always encourage people to take action within 24 hours after learning something new. And you are pretty cutting edge from like a diversity and inclusion perspective from a brand perspective. So I'm curious um, if somebody wants to look at making their brand more inclusive, where can you start? Like where is like a baby step that someone could do tomorrow to get started? Yeah. I think, uh, you know, honesty, a baby step should be like, it's all about like addressing what I said to before addressing the elephant in the room and self-awareness. Like it just make sure that you understand like, in whatever business you are, you might be in an insurance, like uh, finance, like am I within my team, within my company, depending on the role you are in, am I being inclusive? Is there a female like representation, LGBTQ, like everything, or is it my campaigns that I'm like doing? Does it have enough um, um, like diversity or inclusion in like the things how I communicate it? So um, I think in all honesty, we did a great uh, work in, in Corby. We created like a, a task for that if I can talk to you more about uh, of how each brand actually addressed if we're being inclusive enough. Uh, because after this, we were like, okay, our campaign was inclusive, but are we being inclusive as a whole in Corby? And of course, it's like sparked with the whole Black Lives Matters movement. Um, so if I can tell you a little bit of like, what are those steps that we can do? But for me, if you want to start tomorrow, it will be within your control and your department, start assessing, be self-aware, it might be inclusive. And then if I can tell us like, what are the steps that we use to audit if we were doing it or not? Oh, I love that. So just start with yourself first. And then if you wanna go take it to the next step, Aoife, tell me about this plan that you have. So as Marissa mentioned, self-awareness is crucial, but especially with regards to inclusivity and anything that you can do for your business is just, Sometimes we get so caught up, I think, in what we should do and ticking the box. Just take a step back, look outside the window. Who's walking down the street? Is that reflected inside your company if you're in a position to hire? That's a simple starting point. You know, strip away all the BS, excuse my language, but just 
call it like it is. Are you being represented? Like, are you representing what's on the street? For us, from a brand point of view, we are guilty. And I will put my hands up of saying you are so consumed and in your own brand world that you're like, yeah, I do a great job. And I, I, I think we had thought we were doing a great job on the Glenlivet. And we definitely had the past few years with the, the rebrand worked harder to make sure that inclusivity was important for us. But when we um, worked as a, a group together, there was a select few of us where what we did is we looked at the whole Corby Perno Ricard portfolio that we represent here in Canada and we, we diced up all of the brands and, and divvied them out amongst uh, five people. And we had a, a checklist or a template or a scorecard, essentially, which we had to assess the brand through. So that would be to do with representation um, on socials, website, tone of voice, language, response to... Um, to key moments uh, within within the culture, especially last year uh, with Black Lives Matter and, and how our brands were responding to it. And, and a big thing that we did is we made sure that anybody who worked on a brand was not assessing their own brand so that it could be as objective as possible. And at that point when we were doing it, I would have thought we were scoring better on the Glenlivet, but we saw there was room for improvement. But again, there's no need to get our backs up against the wall because it's just... Um, if we go back to the truth of what we're trying to do, which is to be as inclusive and as uh, fair and have equal representation, then we need to be open to hearing what people have to say. And as long as you're open to what people are um, saying, then then there's room for improvement. And it's okay, you might not be there yet. And that's fine. The, the point of what we're trying to do on the brand and the point of inclusivity and um, and everything is to to be open and receptive to that and recognizing that, okay, I don't know everything, but I can improve and I can I can strive to be a better version of myself. So that's what we did when it came to all of the brands. And from a company point of view, we we make sure that we're we're hitting that scorecard every time we start with a new campaign that we are assessing. And it could be as simple to say, take a look at your socials. Um, and if you have a lifestyle or, or people on there, like take a look at the color of everybody's skin, take a look at the demographic. Just just take a little look, take a step back or ask a friend maybe to look at it, someone who's not involved in your business, because it's so easy to just have a tunnel vision of what you're doing. Um, and even taking a step out, you still might be a little bit biased. So just pass it off to someone who has absolutely no involvement in it. And I think you'll get some some great feedback. I love that because it's like, first start with yourself, look at the elephants, start with that self-awareness and then just recognize that you have blind spots. You may not see it. Like you said, you're so in your brand, you're so in your business, you probably don't recognize it and getting that outside perspective. I think that is so, that's such a great place to start. Start with yourself, get that outside perspective. So thank you so much, Ethan Rizza, for telling us the backstory and the business case behind the reason for the Glenlivet repositioning and being more inclusive. It's really excited. I'm really excited to be on this journey with you. And if people want to learn more about the Glenlivet story, how do they do that? So you can visit our website. Um, I'll drop it in the link here so anyone can visit. You can just have a browse around if you want to learn a little bit more about our, our backstory or if you're uh, looking to delve a little deeper into how the, the process of making the whiskey um, or you can even just explore the, the different products that we have and maybe give you an idea of what you think okay I'm into a little bit of fruity something I might try this one it, it gives some great information there and and yeah you can just explore it that way you can follow us on our socials you can sign up to um, our mailing list if you want to hear about 
any new news or exciting things as Marissa mentioned we have something very very exciting planned for the summer so my lips are sealed but if you want to know more sign up and you can hear a little bit more if not Keep your eyes peeled. Um, I believe you will. You'll be seeing a lot more of us soon. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity and inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. 